Uh, hashtag all in. If you were here last Sunday, you'll know what that means, all in. And uh, the mission that we have in front of us as the people of God is huge. The world is our parish, and it's growing exponentially every hour of every day. Did you know that every 60 minutes, 15,000 babies are born every 60 minutes? That means that the town, the town of Strathmore is replicated around the world 24 times every day. The world's growing exponentially. Not, not only is our mission huge, but the time on the clock in front of us is limited. There, there are constantly signs and indicators that, that tell us that we're not far away from the time when God comes and evacuates his, his people out of the world and takes them home to be with himself. And so time is limited. And never have the problems been so many, so complex, so dire as what the world faces right now. The experts are quite often uh, found shrugging their shoulders and, and, and throwing their hands up in the air and saying, we don't have an answer to that question. Into that kind of pressurized world, I asked people last week at the end of the service to say, yes, I'm available. I am all in. I, I'm ready to do whatever it takes to move the kingdom of, of God forward and to get the mission of Jesus accomplished. In, in, it is my intention this year to, to push and to prod you through the upcoming year to carry out your commitment, to, to equip you to fulfill the call that God's placed on your life, to motivate you to believe that you are who God says you are, that you can do what he says you can do. That's, that's my job. That's, that's my, my goal for the year that's ahead. So I wanted to start our time together in this new season talking about spiritual apprenticeship. We're commissioned by God to represent Him, to, to carry His heart and reputation into every encounter that we have with people. However, He needs us to understand that the work has to be done His way. So, so He's called us to be His spiritual apprentices. Now some of you have been through apprenticeship uh, courses and, and times of one kind or another, but in case you're not sure what that is, let me help you out with the definition. Apprenticeship is a system of training a new generation of practitioners of a trade or a profession with on-the-job training instead of being in school. You'd be supervised by a master craftsman who is mature and experienced in that field. Andre Di Sioni of Florence was a master craftsman in the 15th century. People would bring their children to him in the hopes that he would take them under his wing and, and teach them the skills that were necessary for, for their child to become a great artist. In 1466, Sioni uh, accepted a young 14-year-old apprentice into his shop. He taught him drafting, painting, Drawing, chemistry, metalwork, plaster casting, leather craft, mechanics, carpentry, draw, uh, sculpting, and modeling. And from the beginning, he felt that his young pro protege was, was amazing and had skills beyond what the normal child would have. It's rumored that his student was asked to do a, a religious painting, and when Sione saw the work of the student, the master teacher laid down his brushes and never painted again. 
When his apprentice was 20 years old, Sione declared that Leonardo da Vinci was a master craftsman in his own right. This morning, you and I are being summoned to a double calling in this area. We're called to be discipled, to pick up the values, the heart, to adopt the craft of God as he apprentices us in our call. But we're also called to be people who train up apprentices. The scriptures say that we're to make apprentices or make disciples, not, not converts, not allegiances and alliances that might benefit fit us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that we are to train up a new generation of practitioners with on-the-job training so that the life, the hope, the help of God that God brings to the world to our generation never dies but, but carries on and grows in influence and significance all around the world. Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and to make disciples. The word disciples is a, it means a personal follower, a student of a teacher or a leader, a spiritual apprentice that is learning to change lives and the personal destinies of people God's way. It's what he did with the original 12. He went to 12 simple, ordinary people and invited them to drop what they were doing and be transformed in every imaginable way. He, he went to fishermen and asked them to drop their craft and leave behind their boat and their nets and to follow, follow him. Not, not like a parade where they would wave at the crowd, but to adopt his ways, to adopt his values, work according to his principles and, and prior, the priorities of his mission. I like the way that the Passion Translation interprets the, the vision, the exchange that was offered by Jesus to these fishermen. It, if you become teachable, if you adopt the heart of what I do, then I will transform you. From people who catch fish into people who rescue and capture the hearts of people for God. I will transform you. There's a call on your life, a call on my life, and it comes from God, and it's a transformational call. What, what you do for a living, your, your, your vocation, that's important. That's what keeps the bread on the table. That's what brings you into a, into a community that you can pastor and give spiritual guidance and help to. But, but, but there's more to you than your vocation. Your call is to be transformed by God, to work with God in a transformational way, to capture the hearts of people for God. That's why you're here. That sounds pretty interesting. It sounds significant. It sounds profound, and, and it really is. However, it's also very costly. It, it means that while he loves you and has created you to be unique and identifiable as, as different from everyone else on the planet, it also means that in order to be who you were called to be, there needs to be a personal transformation that takes place. For, for the people who identify as being shy and timid, perhaps introvert, there comes a call to be bold unintimidated, courageous, ready to meet and confront whoever and whatever God sends to you. 
for those who are task-oriented and like things in order and on time and as planned and as expected, there comes a call for you to have your heart softened, to be patient with broken, angry, chaotic people who've been looking for love in unimaginable places and have lost their ability to trust anyone or anything. For people who see need, but right now isn't a good time. I'm, I'm busy right now. Perhaps next season or the season after that. When, when things have settled down and when life has become a little bit more normal, there comes this call on your life from God that says, lift up your head and look around at the need that's around you, where you are right now. And if you won't go, who will? We want to talk a lot this year about spiritual apprenticeship. But I wanted to take one of the disciplines, one of the values that Jesus holds up and says needs to be in his followers. And I, I want to use it to illustrate what it means to be teachable, what it means to be reachable to the transformational shift that God requires in each and every one of us. I've been reading through the Gospels this summer, and I've been underlining uh, and, and meditating on the pr principles of apprenticeship. And, and the one that I want to look to uh, today is a hard one. It, it costs a great deal. It doesn't come naturally. It's, it's counterculture. It's counterintuitive to who we are, and, and it seems like an impossibility. But the word of Jesus to us this morning is this. I will transform you into people that capture the hearts of people for God. So before we go to the text, a little exercise. Maybe, uh, maybe just sit where you're sitting. Close your eyes, but don't go to sleep. Just, just close your eyes and, and imagine. I, I want you to picture this morning with your eyes closed the most irritating, difficult, perhaps cruel person in your world right now. The person who causes you pain, anxiety, frustration, the, the person who seems to go out of their way to make your life difficult, maybe even miserable. They may or may not be related to you. It could be a coworker, a neighbor, perhaps even an ex. In some cases, maybe a parent or a child. Most likely, but not always, they're probably alive. A person that if you had the power you would gladly deport them to a place as far away from you as possible just to make your life easier. Can you see them? Okay, now open your eyes. Some of you were getting a little too comfortable there, and I just I need you to be with me for these next few minutes, okay? Usually we all have someone like that. Or have had someone like that. And, and, and that's the picture I want in front of you as we listen to the master teacher speak a transformational message on how we are to think, how we are to act and react in the face of difficult people. Here we go, Matthew chapter 5. Have you got your per the picture of your person? Okay. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Your ancestors, Jesus said, also taught love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. You see, conventional practice has been that you love those who are near and dear to you, but your enemy, the one who brings you harm, the one that hates you, you have permission, you have the blessing of God to hate them back. That was, that was the thinking of the crowd that he was talking to. 
Jesus is speaking to a crowd that understands that philosophical stance. The the religious teachers of his day were implying that hatred of their enemies was part of God's judgment on that enemy. I don't like you, and neither does God like you. They, They just thought that they had the liberty to say that. It's a normal reaction to unkindness and to hatred. If you love me, I'll, I'll be kind to you. I'll love you back. But if you hate me, I will repay that hatred and teach my children to hate you and to hate your children. However, that mindset has never brought worldwide or even localized transformation. There are people groups today who hate other people groups, not for what's happened to them recently and in recent generations, but for things that happened to their ancestors generations back. The Hatfields and the McCoys. The the original offense in some cases can't even be remembered. However, hatred was passed down generation to generation and is as strong and virulent today as ever. That's what we do. That's the cultural norm. But that isn't transformative, Jesus says. So Jesus breaks with cultural norms and he institutes a new protocol for dealing with our enemies. It's not an optional protocol for us who are all in. It's an imperative, it's a demand. As followers of Jesus who represent his message and his ways in the earth, this is a must. Verse 44, Jesus speaking, However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very one who persecutes you by praying for them. The kingdom approach is neither easy or possible in our own strength and ability. Love your enemy. Do you you have the picture that we started with firmly fixed in your mind? Love that scoundrel. Well, Well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. That's easy for you to say, Jesus. You don't know the story behind the story. Again, it's an imperative. It's not an option. Jesus said to you, said to me, love your enemy. You're all in, remember? That's what you said. I'm all in. And Jesus said, okay, let's start to change your heart. Let's start to change your mindset. Uh, uh, Approach your enemy, Jesus says, in the opposite spirit of how they've approached you. If they curse you, then then I want you to look for ways to bless, to enhance, to encourage, to enrich them. For the one who hates you, I, I, I want you to look for ways to do something wonderful for them. Whether they know who did it or not, that's not the point. You do something wonderful for them. The enemy who stays up at night thinking of ways to make your existence more miserable. I want you to stay up at night praying for God to bless and grant them his mercy and his loving kindness. When they go low, as a former first lady said, when they go low, we go high. I chose this teaching of Jesus because of the sheer difficulty of the request. It's neither easy nor is it natural to respond to human-induced hardship. 
In fact, I would go as far as to say that in many cases that I know that are present here in this room, it's just about an impossibility. In our own ability, in our own strength, it's, it seems like a, a source. It seems like a form of self-sabotage. It seems counterintuitive. It's gut-wrenching work. However, if we're going to be involved in the mission of God, if we're going to see transformational change come into our community, into our, into our friendship circle, into our world, we cannot allow ourselves to be caught up in hurt, offense, judgment, bitterness, unforgiveness, and hatred. In, in order to be agents of transformation, we ourselves need to be transformed. Paul says that we need our minds, we need our mindset and thinking to be transformed. David says that we need to have our heart, the place where Scripture says we make decisions. We need to have God create in us a new heart, transformational work. On, on my way to work each day, I, I have a certain route that I like to take, and part of that route is is a, a prayer journey. It's, a, it's called, in my mind, it's called Forgiveness Alley. It's a, it's a travel stretch where I pray systematically for those who have in some way hurt or harmed me. I've done it for several years. Many days I do it with a really bad attitude. And it's not like it's hidden from God. It's, it's like, God, I'm doing this because... And only because you said I have to. So I'm asking you to bless in a supernatural way so-and-so, even though they don't deserve one ounce of your blessing. And as long as the, the hound of revenge growls in me while I'm praying, I have to keep going at it. Eventually, my heart undergoes a change, and I, I start to really want what I'm asking for, and God is then free to tell me the work is done, and I can take that person off the list for forgiveness alley. I have two stories in my repertoire of, of people that I considered enemies at one point in time and now are good friends. I wish the list was longer, but... I haven't got to the master class yet. I'm a work in progress, and, 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 and there's still work to be done. And Jesus says to you, and Jesus says to me, love your enemy. B but why? <laughs> why? What, what's that going to do? Well, he gives two reasons here in verse 45. The, the primary reason is that God makes sure that the sun rises and the rain falls on both his followers and on his haters. He, he looks after everyone. He loves the entire world, denoting every last person in the world. That includes dictators and despots. It means the person who heads the political party that you're voting against next month. It means criminals and people that live according to opposite values and agendas than what you live with. He loves them. He loves them like he loves you. I don't know about you, but some days that bugs me. I, I want him to feel about that person the same way as I do feel about them. I, I cringe, though, when I hear a Christian say, or sometimes when it comes out of my own mouth, I hate this person. 
or I despise that kind of person, or I have no time for that kind of people who believe that way. I, I cringe because we have moved out on the on-the-job training that the Holy Spirit has been tasked to do in transforming us so that we can transform the community where we are. Love your enemies because God loves his enemies and does good for them. But our love also bestows on us our identity. The world will know that we are his followers, not by our brilliant arguments or our well-crafted sermons or our great music or our good works. They will know that we belong to him because we love. We love deeply and wisely and generously, and we love everyone. Because we belong to our Father, we are his children. I'm an adopted child, and I'm thankful for my adopted family and for all the advantages that they've given to me throughout the years, but, but I've never, ever had anyone say to me, you sure look like your dad, or, or say to me, you sure favor your mom's side of the family. In fact... I've sat at numerous family events and listened to the conversation that's going around and, and had that little Sesame Street song in my head. One of these things isn't like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. The, the code in the DNA in me isn't the same, isn't exactly the same. They talk a different language. The, the synchronized beat in the drum, uh, in my eardrum, is different than what they march to. And I recognize it all the time. And so there was an incredible, incredible exhilaration in me when my children were born and, and people started saying, they look like their father. I'd never been identified that way before. It was a little hurtful when one person said, oh, she has her father's ear. Jesus healed them in, in your name, in your name. That, that was a little hurtful, but, but I was so excited when they say, they look like your father. They look like their father. And so I partially understand the exhilaration in the heart of God when he hears that we resemble, we react out of the same heart with the same fervor of love that he has. He's part of our identity. It's who we are. It's whose we are. We love with the same depth and intensity as our Father. Again, no small accomplishment. It's above what is expected. It's beyond what is thought to be the norm or natural. But verse 46 says this, What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And, and how are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect Father in heaven, you are to be perfect like Him. You see, Loving the lovable is not a difficult thing to do. Even the most heartless, self-centered, narcissistic person can love that way. In Jesus' day, the example that he uses is, is understandable by his crowd. You, you know the, the greedy, dishonest tax collectors who are perceived to have no heart. Even they know how to love people who love them back. 
Jesus says, in my school of life and learning, I raise the standard to a new and a costly level. Yes, be kind to your friends, but love like God your Father, whose love is mature, whose love is complete, yes, is perfect, is beyond reproach. Your target is to be the identical representation of who your Father in heaven is. To love perfectly. Again, there's, there's no room for creative interpretation, no wiggle room for whether you can sort of love or love by half measure. Paul paints the picture of what love really looks like, what love really costs when he says, love is large and generous, incredibly patient, gentle, consistently kind to all, refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. It does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. It's not easily irritated or quick to take offense. It joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight light in what is wrong. It is a safe place and shelter, for it never stops believing the best in others. Love never takes failure as defeat, because love never gives up. Mrs. Hansen, can you come to the keys? Is your difficult person still affixed to the front of your face there, just so where you can see, see them? And understand in a, in a practical way in a practical way, what it'll cost to love perfectly. Love in the same manner as the master artisan of our soul loves. You see, last Sunday when we said we're all in, we were giving God permission, giving Him the permission He needs to change our thought patterns, to soften our hearts, to reform our speech, to reprioritize our values, our agenda, so that we reflect who he is. It isn't a magic or quick fix. It's a lifelong transformation. It, it means losing the worst parts of, of me so that I can reflect the perfect act, aspects of who God is. John 3.17 says this, that God didn't send his son to the world to judge to condemn the world, but instead send him to be the one who could transform the world, be its savior, rescue it, capture their hearts. The, the worst part of me has some very strong opinions. The worst part of me has an uncanny ability to both judge and condemn in rather quick fashion. I don't need all of the information. I don't need to hear all the evidence or from all of the witnesses before my judgment is wrapped and ready. That's the sin nature in me that, that judges others before they have a chance, before they have opportunity to judge me. But in the apprenticeship that I'm going through, I'm learning, albeit slowly, that those worst parts of me hinder and hide the reflection of the, of the perfect aspects of God. So I'm announcing this morning I'm on a reduction diet. Less of me, more of Him. Less of my opinion, less of my judgment, more of God's love released in me and through me to everyone that He brings across my path. 
just so you know that when you say that, as I've said that, some of the most difficult people cross your path. People who have serious issues that make them rather prickly and difficult to deal with. But that doesn't matter. I'm on a reduction diet. Less of me, more of him. It's part of my spiritual apprenticeship. I invite you to write this scripture down and, and to post it somewhere where when you get up in the morning, you're confronted with its truth and before you go to bed at night, you're reminded and challenged to adopt it again the next day. It's an uncomfortable part of the training. It's an important, but it's an important part of, of being all in. It's a tack in your shoe that pokes through and, and hurts you in the very sole of your feet every time you get off message, every time you wander away. It's Jesus speaking to me. It's Jesus speaking to you, especially if you're all in. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to all of, his, all of his followers, how many followers of Jesus are here this morning, please? Your hands. Oh, we're going to have an altar call because there's a lot of you who need Jesus this morning, okay? Jesus said to all of his followers, that's you and me, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely and embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. I know I should have probably read that verse before I had you stand all in last Sunday, right? There was method in my madness. Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely, embrace my cross as your own, and surrender to my ways. Spiritual apprenticeship, a system of training a new generation of godly practitioners with on-the-job training, studying at work instead of at school, supervised by a master craftsman who is more experienced. We you bow your heads with me? I want you, as you've got your heads bowed, I want you to pray and say, God, I give you permission to transform my heart, my mind, my agenda. I recognize that you're doing something special in the earth and I don't want to be left out and so I know that there has to be changes in, in the way that I conduct my life and the way that I think and move and behave. So God, you have that permission. And, and while you're praying, will you say this, Holy Spirit, Help me to love the person that's in the picture that's got stuck to the front of my mind. Show me how to bless. Show me how to encourage. Show me how to go high when they go low. I want to be a perfect representation, a complete picture of who you are by the way that I, I love, the way that I walk, the way that I talk. God, will you heal the, the hurts in my heart? Will you 
will you dissolve the, the scars that makes me say and think that I'll never trust, I'll never love, I'll never risk again. I need your help. I need your leadership. I need your transformational power. Father, I want it said of this house that they love generously. They accept freely. They, they care extravagantly. They're a safe people, a safe house to go to. Transformational power is what we need today, God.